All right, we're back. Another episode of the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. I'm Cliff. Chocolate Buddha in the house. We're back in Tokyo, man. Shibuya. We're always here. We yeah. might as well make a home here. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, where, that, you know, that's where everything is at, man. That's where Kicking everybody's at. In the Mobile Man Cave, old 99 van that I gutted out, threw some artwork in, and got some cool people here, as always. But yeah, we love Tokyo. Yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. day. Awesome day. Here in Shibuya. Mm-hmm. Sun is out. Yes. We had a we had a little like last few days was kind of cold, right? Yeah, you know this weather's up and down, man. You know, one day it's forty degrees, next thing you know it's eighty two. You know, Mother Nature say, "Man, fuck this weather report. I do what the <laughs> fuck I want." You know what I'm saying? That's what I love about Mother Nature. Mother Nature's a bitch, but she's cool though. I don't want to piss her off. She might hit us with a tornado or something. We might get struck by lightning. I'm, I'm <laughs> telling you, we might be. But you's going to hell. All right. So um, our guest today is another woman doing great things in Tokyo. She's uh, originally from the U.S. And I'll let her finish introducing herself. Well, I was going to say I can leave right now. You know yeah. what? That <laughs> no, 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 no. You, we you, have Lisa Lowitz. Lisa Lowitz is in the Mobile Man Cave. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. All right. So please give us our audience a little self-intro. Oh, where to begin? Yeah, where well, do you begin? I'm a California girl, and uh, I've been in Tokyo this is my second tour of duty, let's say, put it that way, um, since 2003. And uh, I have a yoga studio in Gotanda, not too far from here. And I write books, and I'm a mom, married to a Japanese guy, still married after 25 years. So I'm giving myself a pat on applause, the back. Applause, applause. A pat on the back right there. Ooh. Applause, hand clap. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but as of today... <laughs> In the present. <laughs> in what's a, the name the of that? Moment. What's the name of the, the yoga place you got? Uh, it's Sun and Moon Yoga. Sun, Sun and Moon. Yoga. It's not a place, man. It's a studio. It's a studio. It's a, it's a, it's a happening. It, it's, it's an experience. It's, it's an, an experience. There you go. Aloha. This is Brother Moat's Music, and you're locked in to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. Yeah, you. How did you come up with that name, Sunny Moon? Uh, you know, I was thinking about what to call the place, and um, I like the simplicity of it. And in yoga, it's let's see if I can keep it simple. Uh, you know, well, we have the yin and the yang, the the light and the dark. Uh huh. The um, opposite forces of the universe. Absolutely. Each contain each other, and. Um, in yogic terms, hatha yoga means hatha, sun and moon, and it's just balancing the the right and the left the left sides of yourself. And uh, yoga means union, so it's the union of the sun and the moon. So sun and moon yoga just seemed like a really good place to start. Thanks for yeah. that um, ex- explanation. It was very clear and concise. Um, so, so for all those who didn't know what the meaning of yoga means, it it means union, right? Yeah, yes. union. Yeah. Yeah. Unity, union, coming together. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so, so where where did this uh, this passion for yoga come from? Like, how how did it take take us back? Uh, so I let's see. I started meditating. I think before I started to actually do yoga, um, and I started meditating in high school. I grew up in Berkeley, California, 
and I went to Berkeley High, and our social studies class had a meditation wow. uh, teacher element, and he had us sitting down and closing our eyes and trying to connect with the breath. And um, as a teenager, that's not an easy thing to do, right? Yeah. Um, and I had had a kind of a chaotic, you know, home life and a chaotic social situation in Berkeley, and um, I found it really calming to kind of just sit and be in in a spacious place you know of meditation and then I thought maybe I want to be a nun you know I was sort of <laughs> into Buddhism I thought maybe I'll go join a monastery good thing you didn't go that route <laughs> <laughs> I knew myself a little better than that you know depending uh, on what Buddhism when they they lost me uh when they said about that celibacy st- celibacy stuff I was like what you got to be celibate yeah, I think I was at that place too, um, you know, and um, but I had a fantasy about it, and so I studied Buddhism many, many years, and I, and I tried to find a way to, um, that it might fit with the life that I had rather than changing my life because I wasn't about to be celibate and go join a monastery and all that, and um, and so uh, it took me a long time to find a, a, a way to um, actually live it. And I'm, you know, I think it's daily practice. <laughs> but so um, I came to Japan 1989 for wow. two years, mm-hmm. and then I left. And when I went back to California, I was I was a bit in reverse culture shock, and uh, I was sort of, I hadn't realized that you know my time in Japan had really impacted how I how I viewed the world and how I expressed myself and and uh, who I was. And when I went back, I um I didn't didn't know who I was anymore. I wasn't quite American anymore, but I definitely wasn't Japanese. And I, and I used to say I was an expat in my own body, you know. Yeah. And there was a, a local uh, dance studio that had a yoga class. And I'd always sort of thought yoga was too slow for me. Like, I'm a, I'm a bit of a type A kind of person. I like to be moving and doing stuff. And, and my, my impression of yoga at the time was you know, lying around stretching, and I thought, eh. but then, you know, yoga changed. At that point, it was Ashtanga and Vinyasa, which was a very active kind of a flow, and you sweat, and, and, uh, and anyway, I went to a class, and it was this French woman who was a mime. She had been a mime, and she was, I think she must have been kind of my age, you know, she must have been in her 50s then, and she was just so graceful, and so, uh, alive and so present i'm like i want what she has and, mm. and she she just i think the teacher is so important she just hooked me and the environment hooked me and i kind of got to live in my own body again and so that's how it happened that i you know this was in 1994 and uh so kind of fast forward i met my japanese husband but i had moved back to california anyway by myself and we lived there for 10 years he came and then uh when i came he said at one point he wanted to come back to tokyo 2003 i was like oh what am i gonna do there you know like <laughs> i was kind of done with it and i didn't think i'd be back and when i was here the first time i was a writer and i was smoking and drinking and you know having the writing life you know yeah, as i yeah. saw it and uh he said well maybe you should open a yoga studio you know, and I thought, oh, could I do that? And actually, when I was, I went on a meditation retreat in Hawaii, and I was sitting there, and I heard this voice saying, you should go back to Tokyo and open a yoga studio. And I thought, at that point, I had no intention to come back to Tokyo. It was maybe, I don't know, 2000 or something. Um, and uh, I kind of dismissed it, and I thought, what the, who's that? You know, <laughs> whose voice is yeah. that? <laughs> and, uh, but then when, 
America went to war in Afghanistan, was it 2002? Something, Something like 2001, that. 2002. Yeah. And things sort of shifted and felt the political environment was shifting. My husband felt it and wasn't so happy in America anymore, and he wanted to come back. And um, that's how it sort of started. I said, well, do you think I could? I remember I'd heard this voice, and hmm, I wonder if I could do that. I wonder if I could open a yoga studio in Japan. And he said, well, only one way to find out. You know, let's try it. If we fail, we fail. But let's try it. So then 16 years have passed. Wow. Now, uh, we will come right back to that. I wanted to uh, talk about your husband a little bit. How did he, or why did he move to the States? How did that? For me, of course. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> he okay. followed me. He followed oh, me. Oh, he followed you. Nice. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I was I mean, look at wired. this. Look at this. No, yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. No, he, um, you know, we fell in love here, but I was at that point kind of not interested in relationship, actually, not interested in being in Japan anymore and thought I was going to go back to the States and uh, start a career or something. I don't know what I thought, but. Uh, I had to leave. I was just done. I, I was never one of those people that wanted to live here forever and be an expat, and you know, and I still struggle with that. But he, and so I left. And he said, and he, actually he said, if you are if you stay here and you're not happy, you're not gonna be happy with me. So you should go. And it, you know, I want you to be happy. And I just thought that was so cool. I never really met anybody who was so, you know, cool kind of about things and just you know really wanted me to be happy and love me so much that. It didn't matter if I was with him or not. He just wanted me to be happy. He said, if we're supposed to be together, we'll find a way. And then the next thing I know, he was like, showed up, you know? Yeah, yeah. After, after like a couple months, he's like, shit, man. man <laughs> I, I miss all Fuck that. this shit. I got <laughs> telling you. God damn. And it was really a big move for him because he's he had never lived abroad. His English, he, he was a, you know, he's a bit older. And when they were learning English at his age, it was, you know, they didn't have a kaiwa. It was book learning, and you learned by reading, and you had Japanese teachers, which, you know, maybe is still the case in some places. But his English was, and he's very shy, so it was hard to be, uh, to make that move, you know. And when he first came, he was spelling out words. Like, he had to actually see the word spell out to say it. Because mm. he was so used to book learning. You right, know? right. And I tease him. He was like Helen Keller. He was like, write everything out on his hand. And, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> say again, say again. And, you know, he was so sweet. But people were not all that patient there. You ah. know? People in America are, are not yeah. so patient. You know, so it was, it was really a good experience for him, trying experience for him. And he grew a lot from it. So we were there 10 years together. Okay, and and how's his English now? Pretty good. Uh, it's pretty much the same as it. I mean, his English <laughs> is actually amazing. His his vocabulary is amazing, and he, you know, because he's a literary translator, his English is amazing. But I think it's the the um the conversational element. He's got a very sort of introspective personality. So you know, it's not so much the English aspect, but the communicate you know communicating English. But he's he's pretty good. Mm-hmm. He's far better than my Japanese. Uh, that was yeah. my next question. <laughs> yeah, his English is still far better than my Japanese, I think. So I guess he's the he's the yin and you the yang in the relationship. Totally, you nailed awesome. it. Yeah, it's a good balance. The thing about my Japanese, though, I'm not afraid to make mistakes. You know, I'm not afraid to just try to express myself in any way that I can. And so I'm pretty, uh, what's the word, shameless, I guess, about just trying to communicate. You know, and, and it's one thing about this culture. They, as long as you try, oh, they'll work with you. 
You know, they'll be like, okay, all right, she just cussed me out in Japanese. Let me, <laughs> let me, let me teach her the proper way to cuss me out in Japanese. It's yeah. true. And when I first opened the studio, I really studied, and I and I thought I'm going to teach in Japanese. You know, and I tried to learn the anatomical terms and stuff like that. And the people who came to the studio, they said, oh, we don't want you to teach us yoga in Japanese. We want to learn yoga through English, through yoga, ego de yoga. Because mm. then we get kind of two, you know, benefits. We get English in our ears, and then we get to get outside of our culture, you know, and then we get to do yoga, too. We get three benefits, actually. So that was really great. And I, I teach kind of bilingually anyway now, or sometimes just in English or sometimes just in Japanese as the occasion demands. But it's been a great learning. It's like, almost like co-creating it. You know, I haven't taught English here. and um, But if I did, I would have to do it that way in which it would have to be through my passion mm-hmm. or something that I'm interested in. And then, then they get the English that way, not just like this structured, traditional book by the book English right it just bores me you know I think that's the way things are going too with this whole like you know you know sort of uh bespoke you know tourism and stuff too people that are even on the opposite way people coming here they're coming not to sort of do Japan or whatever but they want to you know look at Japanese food or they want to study lacquer or they want to study you know fashion whatever so I think that's becoming true globally like people are looking for what's a passion and that's the way into a culture exactly. language you know? yeah 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 so so uh Let's go back a little bit in time. I saw something that that was kind of interesting because, you know, on the walk over here, I was like, you know what? There's something interesting in you about you. Uh, When I was reading that, you know, you were talking about, you know, growing up in the late 60s and 70s. And you say you were bused to a tough neighborhood. And I was like, oh, come on. Now, Lisa was kicking it in the hood. (laughs) You know, and then you, you you know, and then you say, well, you know, after going through some rough experiences, you got into martial arts. So so run that a little how was the hood back then you know i mean what was it really the hood or yeah it's a really good question so you know i grew up in berkeley in the 60s like like you said late 60s early 70s and it was a uh it was a you know vietnam war there, and Berkeley was kind of the hotbed of radicalism and people uh protest movement free speech movement black power movement uh, feminist movement, wow. you know, there was all this kind of fomentation, a fermentation of revolution, and uh, you know, Patricia Hearst was kidnapped, and you know, joined the revolution, that. right? So there was all this kind of uh, you know free speech movement happening, and our parents wanted to, you know, there was still segregation. The schools were still segregated at that time. Wow, you know, Brown versus Board of Education was what 1968, I think. Right, you know? right. Um, but even in California, we had segregation, and it, and it was mainly like a class thing. You know, I don't think it was uh, so much of a, of a ideological, oh, we need to separate the kids, but it was mainly because of economic, you know, the white kids live up in the hills, and then the black kids live down the flatlands. That's just mainly how it was because of, you know, class and economic divide, right? Um, I'm talking about generally speaking. So our parents the parents said, you know, let's integrate. So it was really the first um, voluntary integration. You know, like the community decided, let's integrate the schools. So the white kids were bused into the black schools, basically. So I was bused into, at the time it was Abraham Lincoln School. But when I was there, the kids said, you know, fuck this. Abraham Lincoln was a slave owner, even though he helped to, you know, 
<clears throat> Emancipation Proclamation to free the slaves and everything, but he actually had slaves. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's hypocritical. We don't want our school named after him, so let's have a vote. So we had a vote, and the three candidates were, I still remember, so clear to me, uh, Harriet Tubman, who I voted for because she was a woman. <laughs> you? And I yeah. love Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Dick Gregory, who I also love. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dick. Love me some Dick Gregory. He's a comedian for people who don't yeah. know. Very rest activist. Yeah, rest in peace. And a Malcolm X, <clears throat> who, you know, was Malcolm X. Yeah. Right. So Malcolm X won. Okay. And so the school became Malcolm X Elementary. So uh, I went there for, I don't know, three, four years. And it it was... It wasn't so much that it was a tough place. It was a tough time. A lot of the kids didn't really want us, the white kids, there. You know, a lot of the kids in the neighborhood was like, we don't need these whiteies, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And I was a kind of a nerdy kid, and I had glasses, and I had my <laughs> hair all in my face, and I was, you know, I was scrawny, and I just kind of got the shit kicked out of me all yeah. the time. Candidate oh, wow. for ass whooping. Yeah, yep, yep. I, that was me. And um, it didn't feel so good because I was kind of, thought I was on the side, you know, the right side, whatever, but it didn't matter, you know, it was just a crazy time, but so, um, you know, I, I look back on it, and at a certain point, I thought, you know, I don't, I don't like getting my ass kicked, especially since I, I'm actually, don't think of myself as, as a racist person, or right, something. right, but yeah. it didn't matter, I was white, yeah, yeah, to I them, was white, to them, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and, uh, whatever that was, I, you know, it was, what do they call it, getting some payback, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. get some payback, yeah. and um, you were just a representation yeah. of uh, a but group you know, of people. That's how it is for black people. Yeah, so exactly, it was yeah. really, um, yeah. you know, when I look back on it, it was really uh, a practice or a, a education and empathy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what does it feel like to be uh, persecuted for no for no reason other than your skin color? I'm, I'm not I'm saying I'm, I'm not. Uh, hopefully, this isn't a false equivalent in any way because no, no. I wasn't really persecuted yeah. but just you know like um, uh, to be treated a particular way, way because right. of yeah. how you look, look yeah. your, yeah. your pigmentation you yeah. know right, right. so so looking back on it that gave me a lot of um, empathy I think to feel like what it might feel like to be in someone else's shoes you know and then the great thing is by the time we got to high school it was the same group of kids and we all got along you know we really did I mean there were still some economic you know disparities and divide and academic divide and so on but in general the black kids the Latino kids the white kids the Asian kids you know Jewish kids gay you know we yeah. had out gay lesbian kids then okay brave well. souls you know yeah um we all got along and we figured out how to live together and work together so in the end i think it was a good experiment this idealism of our parents but for me personally it kind of led me to meditation which and you know led me to martial arts which our teacher actually had us meditate so i think you know you get put on these paths and and i my family life also my parents you know were getting divorced and it was kind of messy and you know i found a kind of refuge mm. in um meditation and just going to a place beyond uh, you know the struggles of the moment. Right. So from meditation to well, was it martial arts first, and then meditation? Yeah. Well, you know, our martial arts teacher, he was this Armenian sensei, and he, <laughs> he was really global. He had us uh, chanting from the Heart Sutra. You know, form is emptiness, emptiness is form, and he had us meditating, and I think that was pretty unusual. 
I don't think that's something you do in a lot of karate studios. Right. Okay. I'm right. not sure why he was doing it, but it resonated with me, and it yeah. was a good practice for me. So, in other words, before the fight, when the kid came to mess with you again, said, hold up, let's meditate give me, give first. Me, give me like three or four seconds. <laughs> now you ready to fight? And the kid is like, uh, no, let's be friends. <laughs> yeah, I think it teaches you, you know, just to kind of not check out, like, in the moment, whatever's happening. Or, you know, maybe if you're checking out, you, you're aware, okay, I'm checking out, come back. You know, yeah. like that's the, the muscle you develop when you meditate is to be in the present moment with what is happening and not kind of shut down to it or check out, you know, and just try to kind of be present with what it is no matter how uncomfortable it is. And so if someone's got a gun, you know, knock on wood, you never have to have that experience, but you can see, you know, you don't just freeze and check out. You say, oh, holy shit, I better get out of here. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that presence of mind to take action. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And then, so, okay, and so then you, you come back to Japan, right? And right. Take us through the, the, the journey of starting um, a yoga studio. So, and, and, and you know, props to my husband because he, you know, he did all the the legal work and the, you know, contractual work and all that, you know, starting a business work and, you know, all that kind of logistical work. And that's something that, that I think we've mentioned on this podcast before. And um, it's pretty common knowledge now, especially for people who, um, li- lived in Japan is you're gonna need that Japanese person yeah, at some point yeah. to just because you know they if understand the can, culture yeah better than you do and and the language and the legalities legalities and the ins yes and outs and and it's just uh you know helpful if you're lucky enough to have a support team or person absolutely yes. and that's probably true for any country I would exactly think. Yeah. right right exactly. but you know starting a business is not for the faint of heart mm. you know there's a lot of you know first of all takes money so basically my husband and I had no money I mean we were living at the poverty level for pretty much most of our lives and pretty much still are <laughs> but we flipped the house we bought his mom passed away hope I can say this and left him a little bit of money and then um I is funny I I oh so this was one thing I wanted to kind of make sure I said on this program mm-hmm. when I came to Japan the first time I was teaching English and I was up at six teaching out at Nissan and you know, wherever they send me, I would go, I'd get the visa, I would do it. And it was, Japan was one of the only places in the world a person like me could come and actually make a decent living. Uh, you know, somebody with an English degree, which was pretty useless in America or, you know, <laughs> yeah. like a, right. a, a BA in English. And I yeah. actually had a master's in creative writing, which mm-hmm. was not a smart business move. But I want is <laughs> passion. What we're talking about the passion. Yes. And Japan was one of the few places in the world that and I had student loans <clears throat> and I had debt and credit card debt and stuff, you know, and I just thought, how am I going to dig my way out of this? You know, when I came to Japan, I was able to pay it off within months you know, and I wasn't even, I mean, I was just probably making 3,000 yen an hour or something, you know. But my point is that, you know, it was a place that was welcoming to kind of young, idealistic people who who wanted to pursue their passion and, you know, not get sort of deadened by the corporate yes. grind, you know. Yes. And, and you could kind of maneuver, find a way to live here and do freelance work and mm-hmm. And um, as people still do now. Yeah. So it was I'm really grateful that I was able to come, you know, the first time and do that. And and so I saved I worked my ass off and I saved enough money 
to go back and kind of put a down payment on a house combined with my husband's uh, money that he had inherited. And we bought this really old dumpy house and fixed it up. And then the prices in California just skyrocketed. So we flipped, we sold it. And then we were able to come here and take that money and then put it into the yoga studio. So, but that was from teaching English, really. You know, mm-hmm. I don't wow. spend a lot of money, you know. But anyway, so we did that. And then, you know, we, we found this place. It was a mansion. Nobody yeah. ever, like, you know, because there, there was sort of uh, chain yoga places that, you know, that are really luxurious and they had showers and stuff like that. We just had a room in a mansion, no shower, <laughs> nothing. Now, now, before you go any further, yeah. explain to the audience, because I had this. Uh, I had this, uh, you know, because I met this Japanese girl a long time ago, right, when I was single. And she said, I own a mansion. I was like, yes, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> I'm going to be rich. So explain the difference between an American, um, uh, how Americans picture what a mansion is yeah. and what a mansion is in Japan. Maybe I should let you explain it. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, in Amer- in English, if you say mansion, you think of like a luxury estate, like a huge home with, you know, lawns and fountains and whatever you think of when you imagine right. what a mansion is. 30 bathrooms. Might be. Exactly. A, a wealthy person's abode, you know. And mm-hmm. here a mansion is basically an apartment block. Yes. It's an apartment building with maybe 10, 15, 20 apartments in it. And it's probably, I don't know how many square feet, you know, so it's one room and a bathroom maybe and a kitchenette type of thing usually, sometimes more. But it's a it's the opposite of yes. what yeah. you would say in English for a mansion. I, I live in a mansion, folks. Do yeah. you? I live in a mansion, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's back to basics. It's not basically, an American one, but yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> what, you know, it's, it's kind of <laughs> all you need. You got a room, you got a bathroom, you got a shower unit, and then you got a um, kitchen or a kitchenette. So in other words, people, it's just a crib. Yes, basically. It's a place <laughs> to hang your hat. It's a crib. Yeah. So we were looking, you know, because we didn't have much money for rent. and uh, But I knew I wanted to have a place that was central people could get to that was on the Yamanote line. So we are looking at Megro at the time. And we just found this place. And what I loved about it is that it looked out on sky. Like here, you you know, you look out, you're, you're backed up into a building. You see another wall. Right. But this place, there was nothing behind it because there was an empty bus depot or something. So you could actually see the sky. And then the door behind it, you it was sort of open to the element, so you get a cross breeze, and and it had been on the market for about a year because there was a credenza, there was like a shelving unit on it that the owner just wouldn't let people touch, for some reason he he had to keep that in, and for most people that was a deal breaker, but for me, the thing I didn't say is I had started doing restorative yoga, which is kind of lying around on bolsters, and it's. Uh, it's a, it's a kick in the relaxation response. You know, we're, we're so adrenalized. We're so right. fight or flight. You know, we're in the that response, the fight or flight response. Um, we don't chill out, charge yeah. up our batteries. Like, you know, I always tell people when your cell phone dies, you charge it. You know, we don't do that with the human body. So we get sick. Yes. And accidents, our sleep patterns get all haywire. So I was doing this yoga in America, and I knew when my husband said he wanted to move back to Japan, and I thought, mm, what am I going to do back there? Because I'm not smoking and drinking and, and being the literary <laughs> <laughs> the writer. Dorothy Parker anymore. Right. You know? So, uh, oh, yeah, I got I heard that voice. I'm supposed to open a yoga studio, so I want to do restorative yoga. So, But I knew there was no props here. You know, there's no bolsters, sandbags, yeah. all the things you mm-hmm. need. So I bought, I bought them wholesale, and I had 
shipping container and I had sent them here. So I knew they were coming. So at the time... I didn't have a lease. I didn't have a yoga studio. I wasn't even here yet. Okay. But I knew that when I came and I opened my yoga studio, I wanted to offer that because I had lived in Tokyo before and I knew how crazy the city was, how stressed out people were. So how, how big was yoga then in Tokyo? So it hadn't really, you know, started. So... I when I saw that credenza, you know, I said, mm. "Perfect, that's where I'm going to put all that shit that I ordered that's <laughs> coming in." <laughs> mm-hmm. And the other thing I did, um, well, I teach the, I teach something called abundance flow, which is sort of you know you project into the future, fake it till you make it kind of thing. Right. You know, you take steps to create the life you want, even if you're two, three, four steps ahead of yourself. So I knew this stuff was coming. So I knew I had to get a place because I didn't have any room for it at home. At that time, there there was. Um, there was a hot yoga studio. Uh, Bikram's brother Buddha, Buddha Bob, had a studio here. Who I think he still. You had a studio it. here, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, that's he's your, uh, your, uh, Somebody stole my name and making money <laughs> off of it. No. I don't know about it anymore, but um, he was here, and there was um, a guy Ken Harakuma who who was here who had a studio called IYC doing Ashtanga yoga, mm. and then there. There's a few other, um, B Yoga was here. I think they had just opened. But really there wasn't the yoga boom because of uh, Om Shinrikyo, of the Om Sh- of the oh. gas siren attacks. Right, I so remember that. People were really, really frightened about yoga and just... So, know. okay, I'm, I'm not making that connection here. So I, I, I know of that incident. So that, he that was tragedy. a yogi. Oh, he was a yogi. And oh, they I didn't had know that. Yoga studios all around Tokyo. Okay, Om so sh- let's let's uh, ex- Om- oh let's let's explain that right. um, yeah. who, that incident and who that guy is, and then so Asahara Shoko was the leader of this cult called Om Om Shinrikyo, and he had yoga studios all over Tokyo, and they were all dressed in white, and the people, you know, that was sort of his. Um, portal i guess into Ah. society was through the yoga and i actually went to one when i lived here in 1994 or whatever i there was there were they were all over the place there was one in ginza Mm. and the place creeped me out and i was like i am not going i don't know what that was (laughs) but i am never going back there it was just yeah the really creepy vibe but the japanese people you know are very innocent and very pure and, and and yeah and and they were just um you know, taken over by him somehow, the people who followed him yeah. and that were led into this whole twisted philosophy of, you know, I believe we're all going down, we're all going to hell. So you'll actually be doing something good if you take these people out because you'll be ac- accelerating their demise, you know, sending them there sooner or something. I don't know. That's yeah. a, wow. I don't know exactly what his philosophy was, mm-hmm. but from what I understand it, um, that was the sort of the reasoning behind and he had these... Uh, followers who were from the highest echelons of society here Tokyo University graduates and you know doctors and lawyers and people who who sort of blindly followed this vision so he got locked up and many people died in the sarin gas attacks and, right right and it was very traumatic for it was on the trains Japan. right yeah, yeah. yeah. so right. he and his followers released sarin gas in the um, trains yeah. underneath the business district and the government districts of um, Tokyo yeah and people, many people died. This is Lee Uehara, host of The House of Life NYC, and you're listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. 
So that kind of was still in the air, let's say. Gotcha. You know, when when I came back in 2003, because after that, that just the whole yoga thing got shut down. You know, so wow. people who who remembered that were very uh, suspicious with, with reason, you yes. know, of anybody coming and offering, you know, these kind of practices. So we had to be really careful about how we presented yoga, and I really presented which was true for me anyway as a california you know my studio was very relaxed and uh, you know california vibe and you know anyone was welcome if you didn't have money to pay for class no problem you could barter whatever you know it was very sort of un-japanese and people really liked that and responded to that but in the beginning nobody came i opened my <laughs> doors and i'm like Nobody's Which is here. not surprising, right? You know. Well, nobody knew me. And okay. the the people that I had known in Tokyo when I had been here before, they weren't into yoga. They were still drinking and smoking. And, you yeah. know, they were older with families, some of them, and they were busy. And, you know, so I kind of had to start from scratch. And um, there was an organization called Few. Um, it, at the time, it was uh, Foreign Executive Woman, but now it's called Foreign Empowering yes, Woman. Yes, I was just about to bring that up. Yeah. Shout out to Few. Yeah, shout out to few. And they had a, uh, you know, you could go to the meetings and you could stand up in the beginning and say who you were and what you did and, you know, kind of a community, real community feeling. And so, you know, if you need a support or just, hey, I'm opening this business. So that's what I did. I stood up and I said, I, I just moved here. I opened the yoga studio, you know, come one, come all. And the woman right next to me said, oh, yeah, I've been looking for a yoga studio. Wow. I'm so psyched. And she was a, a lawyer. Who's actually since you know quit being a lawyer is now a yoga teacher. She lives in South Africa. Hi, Catherine. Shout out to Catherine. Catherine. Um, and she was the one. She showed up every day, every single day. She was there, and so I kept it open for her. Thank God she was there. You know, thank you, Catherine. And I realized too, as I was kind of waiting for people to come, that I hadn't really arrived. You know, like I was sort of waiting for external validation in a way and right. and then one day I was like wait you need to arrive in a space set out your mat do your practice gratitude be here and then everything shifted because I kept waiting for like I said external validation people to come and right. Catherine was there so she was my <laughs> she was my uh, you know Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> right, right, she right. believed in me yeah. you know and uh, the force was with her and so I just kept at it and then I got a phone call from uh, Nihon Terubi, mm. Jap- Nihon TV, Japanese mm-hmm. TV, yeah. and they said this comedian uh, from 99 Size, Okamura-san, he wanted to come. Oh, uh, Okamura. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a little short him. dude. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. probably the same tall as me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he's funny, yeah. He wanted to come and do yoga with me, and I didn't really wow. know who he was. And I, I didn't know. It was kind of like, yeah, wow, right? But I didn't really know, so I wasn't okay. that freaked out because I didn't really know yeah, yeah. how big it was. And I was like, sure, yeah, whatever, a comedian, that sounds fun. Right. And uh, my friend Sarah Shivani, so shout out to Sarah Shivani, she came in, uh, she's quite fluent in Japanese, and she's an actress, so she's really natural. And we just had a blast with him. We were putting him in the poses, and he was <laughs> making jokes. And, and they had these, I don't know what they're called, but like, uh, you know, s- like signs that I was supposed to say what was written on them. Okay. And there's probably a word for yeah, it. Yeah, placards, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and we, because the cameras were rolling, and. You know, it was in uh, Romaji, so it was in Romanized Japanese, like for, you know, right. who don't know what Romaji is. And it would be things like kimochi, kimochi, 
or something, <laughs> yeah. which was, oh, that feels good, right? Yeah. But they had it spelled weird. It's like, Kimochi i daru or something really uh, weird. And okay. I was like, I had this moment, like, should I read the way it's written or should <laughs> I say it correctly? Or, so I kept just that, well, they wrote it that way, so I better say it that way. And then it just uh, turned out to this, like, hysterical, you know, and I Typical, was, like, make the foreigner yeah, say something Gaijin silly. Clown yeah, right, clown right, right. Yeah. But I was sort of, you know, didn't mind, like, uh, you know, because I wasn't really sure that's what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> for, they probably didn't really know how to write Romaji, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um but then people afterwards were coming to me on the street and they were saying, like, you know, wow, you know, in in um Japan up until now the yoga teacher had been literally on a platform, like on a pedestal. And they were very serious and they were sensei and you know, they didn't laugh and make stupid jokes. Yeah. And, you yeah. know. And I also I think for me the lesson was just be yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, which even at that, I was 40, you know, 16 years ago. Even at that time, like, I I think, you know, we do have a tendency to think we have to be a certain way to be successful or a certain way to be happy even. And mm. that was just like, it's okay to be your, you know, yeah. imperfect right. <laughs> self. And but what is perfect, you know? Yeah. Shit. Well, now with social media and stuff, it's even harder, I think, to, to right. have that question in your mind. But people told me that that's what they liked about the studio, and they still like that about the studio, that you can they can be themselves. They can go there, be who they are, as they are, and just it's a place where people can just be authentic. You're going to make me come back. Come Please back come yoga, back. Yes, yoga, yes. Yeah, 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 and I need come. to come back to the studio and visit. And you're going to be a yoga teacher. I'm going to be at your class. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, you you know, heard I, it here first, yeah, everyone. exactly. You know, I used to tease the ladies because uh, I... I practice yoga at, uh, uh, on a base, and I used to tease the ladies, say, yeah, I'm going to open up my own studio called the Big Daddy Yoga. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. You have uh, to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big so, Daddy Yoga. Big Daddy Yoga, you know, and I'm going to be working out in, uh, like, tight trunks, you know, and and uh, you ain't got to pay to come to the class. Just put the donations in my, in my you know, Big G-string. Daddy Yoga with Buddha. Yeah, Big Daddy Buddha Yoga. I could totally see it. Yeah, but. Uh, so I wanted to ask you this. I think this question i really wanted to be answered on this podcast so today with yoga right it's 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 a thing now right it's popular uh you got all these yoga straps yoga mats yoga yoga this yoga pants fashion what what, what do you think about all that all of this uh well you know basically marketing anything that's successful is going to be commercialized commercialized yeah you know it's just we live in uh, a commercial capital, a material world, right? Yeah, right. You know, we live yeah. in a material world. So, you know, that stuff is out there and it's easy to get caught up in all that and it's easy to get caught up in, you know, Instagrammable yogis, people oh, who are yeah. doing these oh, beautiful yeah. bodies and doing I these was caught things. up into it. I was caught up into it. And uh, I think we just have to come back to, uh, you know, what is your intention in doing this practice? Like, you, I mean, it's fine if you want an intention to lose weight or become more youthful or beautiful, whatever. But I think, you know, ultimately the intention is to be happy and be content with what we have and be at peace and then, you know, hopefully serve other people, you know. Right. Like really, yeah. the bottom line is once we've got and realize we have enough, yeah. You know, then let's try to make this world a little better, even in small ways, you know. Going so, back to the, the word, what it means, unity, right? Right. Totally. Union. 
Totally. Yeah. Now, speaking of serving other people, I was reading, you know, I read quite a few of your interviews, and one of the ones that touched me, and uh, Tracy even spoke about it, uh, was, you know, uh, the community during 311, right? Yeah. During the, uh, during the, um, the uh, earthquake and tsunami and everything. And I was reading about how you, you know, used your studio to collect. Don't tell us a little bit about that. Cause what I loved about you guys is the fact that you, you know, you could have easily left, went back to your homelands or whatever, but you know, since this is a home away from home for you guys, you guys decided to, to give back to, to tell us a little bit about right, that. Right. Right. This was really um, kind of pivotal time because, you know, not just the tsunami and the quake, but of course the nuclear meltdown in Fukushima and the, really the, um, you know, unknown was their radiation, was their contamination, how far did it, you know. So a lot of people back home were saying, you know, get out of there. It's it's really bad. Get out of there. And what you're hearing from the government is not true, et cetera. And, you know, I was tempted and, and um, because we had our son was was young at that time. He was seven. So I thought not so much for me, but am I putting him in, in harm's way, you know, and, and I struggled with that. And my husband, in typical fashion, he said to me, I'm not leaving. Uh, but if you feel that you want to go and take our son, I won't stop you all. You got my blessing. It was typical of him to just, you know, it's your choice. Put it back on me. And I was like, ah, shit. You know, sometimes <laughs> yeah. you kind of want somebody to tell you what to do. Yeah, you so you don't have boost. to take ownership. Well, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you're like, you know, it really goes back to your life is, is your life. And so... Um, I I just I just decided to take a wait and see attitude, and then since we were here and we were open, you know, <clears throat> people um, we didn't have electricity. Sometimes there were blackouts and stuff. People needed a lot of people. A lot of our students lived alone, and they didn't have anybody. And they would come to the studio. It was their home, you know. So you talk about Japan being a sort of my home away from home. This yoga studio, Sun and Moon Yoga, was for a lot of these people. That was their family, and that was their home. So we kept it open, and so many people came. And then one of our students, shout out to M, who is now a teacher who's our head teacher and who really holds the place together, M. Bettinger and her husband, Phil. They're really involved with animal activism. You should have them on your show. Mm, okay. And uh, um, also, uh, you know, community support. And so she started this drive, this food drive. Um, at the studio because she was there a lot and um and we we were the largest non-corporate uh, donor um for supplies and goods for for uh <clears throat> tohoku so people just brought stuff and you know sent stuff and donations and you know we just um <clears throat> she would bring it up or we'd get you know second harvest japan we worked with them um to come up but i was also uh, and so m bettinger was really i think the driving force behind that and uh, and she does drives every year for animals and animal mm. uh, shelter Niigata and, and other things. So <clears throat> we realized that, you know, people want to help. <clears throat> people wanted to not sit around and feel sorry for themselves and worry about the next aftershock. But they, people want to take action and be of service because for, for now, for them, we were safe in Tokyo. And then, you know, we were in, I mentioned... A mansion, right? And it was an old building, and it was cracked, and it really shook, and it was really scary. Right. You know, it was this concrete thing. And, and I remember when it happened, I was actually there, like, I was not too far away, and I went back, and then the manager was, uh, a building manager, was running from apartment to apartment, getting people out. And I was so moved by that. Like, he was 
willing to lay down his life to get everyone out of the building, you know? And then when I showed up, there was another point when the earth started shaking. And, you know, some of these aftershocks were earthquake size. They were 7.2. They were big. Yeah. Right. And this was an old building. And my student, I, I was saying, well, you guys, do you think we should get out of here? You know, like, I was scared. I was I was teaching them, I thought, right? And they were like, you know, no, no, we're, you know, we're, um, we're going to stay here. And I said, but aren't you afraid to die, you know? And they were like, what, we'd rather die with other people or rather die with our family than die alone, you know? That's why we're here. And I was mm, like, wow. wow. And I thought I was their teacher. You know, these, <laughs> these people were like, They wow. just schooled you. Yeah. Yeah, so I was really touched by that. And, and the other thing I want to mention um, – the rabbi, you know, I'm Jewish, and the rabbi here, uh, Rabbi Edery of Chabad of Tokyo, he, I think at that time he had five or six kids, and now he's got ten. Uh, <laughs> what was that? That, that was a, somebody uh, ringing the bell for, hey, yeah, <laughs> hallelujah. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. That's my damn phone. I get these uh, just real quick. Uh, I love, I love uh, beautiful quotes. So this one lady named uh, Louise Hay. Yeah, she okay. has these positive affirmations that pop up on, on my phone. Rest in peace, Louise. Hey, I love you. And uh, I still get these affirmations. So that's where you heard the little tone. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Keep going. So he, he was going up in his uh, van, you know, going up to Tohoku and delivering supplies and stuff. And I said, Rabbi, aren't you, you know, you got kids. Aren't you scared? You know, like the people were, a lot of people were leaving. And I don't fault the people for leaving because the information was really sketchy. And right. lots of aftershocks. And um, and his wife said to me, I said to her, well, you know, are you guys going to go? Are you going to leave? You take the kids and go? And she said, where would we go? She said, this is our home. We came here to be of help. And we can't be of help now. Yeah. When are we going to be of help? You know, right. Th- this is the time mm. when we're needed more than ever. And and I was really moved by his story because when he was first going up to Sendai, um, people were a little afraid of him. You know, he, <laughs> he looked a little, you know, uh, intimidating with a big black hat and the black cape and the big beard and yeah, you know quite. uh yeah and then a couple you know he just kept going up he kept going up and, and saying how can i help and bringing hot food and bringing he got like a uh yaki emo sweet potato guy to come up you know with him he corralled the sweet potato truck to go up and people <laughs> crying because they had not hot food in days and you know they were in their shelter and they, he, he just you know how could he be of service so he's uh a couple I think a year or two after that, the mayor of the town gave him like a special commendation. He became a friend of the town. So I just was so moved by that story. Someone who was a, was a other, was a foreigner, was scary. Yes, and, that, and that's what know. I was thinking about. Um, I'm listening to you tell this story. I'm just thinking about Tracy's story. Shout right. out to Tracy. Shout out to Tracy. Pink Shout out to Tracy. Yeah. yeah. Another um, California girl. Exactly. Right. Love her. Same, same type of vibes. You, right. you and her yeah. got the same type well, of vibes. Well, they're both from Cali. they both yeah, from Cali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just like loose and... What I, what I think about is the foreigners who, who've contributed you yeah. know to japan um in all types of ways you know um, not not just an emergency situation or, or um, tragic situation well like you guys yes yeah, like yeah. us to the conversation right right conversation yeah shout out to the roar over mobile podcast yes yep. yes totally. <laughs> shout out to cliff and buddha <laughs> shout out to cliff and buddha yeah yes. yeah yeah but yeah i feel like japan you know has given me a lot. I've grown as a person enormously. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's because of the walls that I hit. You know, um, the, you know, you kind of have to, when you've come 
up against the obstacles, either you crumble or you find a way to scale the wall or move the wall or break it down or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Japan had given me a lot at that point. And so, um, you know, it was an opportunity to give back. And I still feel that way. Like we're doing Sun and Moon Academy now. We have charity events, you know, sort of broadening it beyond yoga into community um, gatherings that are more educational. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what yoga is all about, you know, is, 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 to me, it's giving to yourself mm-hmm. and then spreading that out to others, you know, spreading that love, you know. There's a huge spirituality aspect to it that I think um, a lot of people who maybe are not familiar, too familiar with it, but their, their perception of yoga is very materialistic and very like outer and not inner yeah if that makes sense and i think that the beauty Mm. of yoga is you know people might come to it for that but yoga works you know and it will get to your spirit it will get to your soul it get to your heart even if you come to it for the materialistic thing is you want to look good in your lululemon whatever (laughs) (laughs) and look at the ladies and they lululemons and yeah 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 all the ladies looking at the guys all the guys looking at the guys but yeah since we're on this topic and it's a silly question but it's something that we brought up. So we, we, we when we first started this podcast, I would say maybe like the third episode was about yoga, right? Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was way back. It, it, it was like the hood episode of yoga. It was yeah. like yoga in the hood episode because, yeah, yeah. Who so did, who did I think we on? called it we what? Had, we, it was just oh, us. Just two of yeah, it was just, just okay. shooting the shit about yoga, yeah. That's so cool. I yeah. To it. And then, so I wanted to ask you this question that we brought up back then. What advice would you give a man... Uh oh. <laughs> Who's doing yoga? Yeah. And, and he has a boner. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say he farts or something. Well, that too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did that happen to you? <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, it's happened to me several it times. said it happened to him. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't recall. And the way happened. it was explained, you know, to me, and, and uh, of course, of course, we want to hear it from you, is that it's energy. And yeah. as energy moves through the body, <laughs> things happen. Yeah, I or, mean, I guess. Have the, you been? Have you taught I've, a class? I've or? never had that experience that okay. I knew of, and I would think that I would know. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. But uh, that's a really interesting question. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a great answer, and I think the, the ultimate, you know, answer is going to be it's it's your body. <laughs> it's, you're the one who's going to deal with what's happening to it. So how are you going to deal with it? Yeah, not so yeah. much how the teacher, or how the yeah. you know, stu- you know. Because when things happen in yoga, of course, you know, the atmosphere is going to determine how, but, you know, what's your attitude? It's like this is a natural thing that's arising because of energy that's, you know, or blood flow that's, you know, circulating down there or something. Or, you know, you're getting turned on or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. You know, so how would you deal with that? You know, how do you deal with your own body? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe you just uh, breathe, maybe go in the bathroom breathe. till it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it'll I think, subside, yeah. you know. I mean, it's always going to child's pose me. or something, you if know. If you can, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Don't. I think probably just, you know, be okay with, with I mean, it's it's already there. Yeah. Right? It's there. It's, yeah. If it's happened, it's there. So, you know, it's, again, that thing of being present with what's arising. So right, rather right. than trying to fight it. You know, just say, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you have shame or embarrassment, whatever you might have around it, yeah. you know, just, uh, you know, acknowledge that's coming up. And then, you know, just. Um, as well as farting. I, I think I've farted a few times. Yeah, that we just sort of ignore, you know. <laughs> yeah. it it's a body function. Exactly. It's the yeah. same thing. So it's kind of, you know, body function is a release or it's yeah. energy arising. And, you know. I think for the most ways. part, people who come there yeah. to to do yoga yeah. are, are mature and yeah. like you said it's 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 
hard to body, and we know that happens. So yeah, and you're not going there to a class that's full of people to get a boner. It just, it just, (laughs) it just happens. You know, it's sort of like getting a massage because you know the one lady that she says that yes, men get boners, and it happens because we're opening up channels of energy, and that's the same thing you do in yoga. And so, if it happens, that means that hell, I'm in my late fifties. That means I don't need no Viagra. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a natural response to stimulation of some sort. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, on the one hand, you can celebrate that that's all still working, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, Grandma, I'm coming. All right, honey. But, uh, but, but, but the truth of the matter is, you know, aside from, like, joking about it, because all other bodily functions, too, a lot of people are really dependent on pharmaceuticals to, to have Absolutely. Happen. So, it, you know, I remember once, this is this kind of along the similar lines, but there was a woman who came to class and she was, I don't know, maybe in her fifties or sixties or whatever. And she had stopped having her menstruation. She stopped having a period and she started bleeding and she was a bit shocked. Like, Whoa, you know, and she ran to the bathroom and kind of dealt with it. But you know, things move energy shifts you know and things that might be dormant or not functioning so well can start functioning you know at a more optimal level so Mm. it's really interesting it's a body and it's a it's a living organism and it responds to to uh you know energy circulation right you're opening up things that so it's really interesting and but i think a lot of people too like they have sleep issues they take uh, you know stuff for that when they start doing yoga they find that their body gets their circadian rhythms get more balanced they get more on a natural flow they don't need to take circulation yeah. gets better now another thing we had discussed too uh and i've never been to one but uh naked yoga, naked yoga. what do you think about that <laughs> Again, I mean, I don't really get it. I don't know why Some Western people thing. do it. Just like Baron yeah. Yoga now is a thing. A what yoga? Baron yoga. yoga. Right. So all of this crazy well, you know, westernized. After, after the yoga class, they drink beer. Cause right. Yeah, you, you drink beer during the yoga class and you're <laughs> well, doing I, I a headstand. I think I've seen something on YouTube with people like, yeah. Oh, man, that's yeah. dangerous. That's that westernized yoga yeah. type stuff. I think you know, it's we, just a gimmick. Yeah. It's, a, it's, again, coming back to this commercialization yeah. or monetizing things. And how do we, let's get people in the drink. Let's get exactly. guys. Because exactly. if you're going to reward them with the beer, maybe they'll come to yoga exactly. class. I'm not saying it's all guys, but. Yeah. So maybe it's part of that. And. The naked yoga is probably some of that, and also maybe there are, pe- you know, there are. What do they call the people who like to be naked? There's a name for them. Oh, uh, nudists. 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 Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, I hung out with them in uh, California. Freeing, yeah, right? it's freeing, yeah. and there's there's no, you know, separation between you and anything. I guess, you know, clothing. So you yeah. know, I'm not gonna judge anybody. Right. But um, it's not my thing. Yeah. So you never went to Black Be- Black's Beach in San Diego. No, I never did. Oh, it was great. You don't know what you're missing. <laughs> well, I can still go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life's well, not, not over yet. Yeah, right? yeah, it's not over with, you know. I mean, it's it's not, it's not, you know, it's still there. It's not as, you know, what it used to be. But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into my experience there. But it was great because everybody was free and it was families. It was kids. It was, you know, it was just a wonderful experience. And people ask me, well, when you're at home, what do you wear during yoga? I was like, nothing. So like, you're you're a naked yogi. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's so cool. freeing. You know, there's yeah. no, nothing restrictive. But I'm in the privacy of my own home in my own room. What you about know? Your, your, your 
Your daughter lives with yeah, you. Yeah, she walked in. One day she walked in <laughs> oh and she God. saw, she saw the, the, I guess she saw these two. I guess she walked in and the <laughs> lights was on. The <laughs> and she saw, yeah, the image. And I'm a big guy. So she saw these these two big buttocks. And she was like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, well, you know, don't worry. Mount Fuji ain't the only thing. I, but anyway. It's the sun and the moon. It's the sun. <laughs> fist bump, fist bump. <laughs> Yeah, you saw the sun the and the moon. moon. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know my wife don't give a shit. You know, so so uh, but yeah, yeah, that's the way I practice. But yeah, of course, when I go to a studio, I'm gonna respect. You know, but uh, I was like, wow, you know, maybe we ought to open up one of these in Tokyo. It's like a new yoga place. Uh, a new yoga place. I don't know about that. I think there's probably regulations. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's yeah. probably a few like. Actually, outside was, of Tokyo, somewhere in the, in the woods, in the boonies, or some something like that. Maybe, but there was some um, studios where men would just wear, you know, like a speedo kind of thing, or just right. uh, underwear, yeah. and women were not okay with that here. Gotcha. A lot of women and other men, you know, got com- like because there were some teachers who would take off their tops. And, yeah. yeah, you know, they just felt that was sort of I don't want to say disrespectful, but there was some they felt. Uh, uncomfortable with yeah. that. Right, right, so right, right. It's interesting, the whole cultural element of that. It is. Right. Yeah, it's, 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 but it's, I think it's, it's great. I mean, if if you feel free and that, you know, it's whatever floats your boat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I did hot yoga when I went back to the States to visit. Um, and I was like, first couple of minutes, I was just like sweating profusely. And I'm just like, all right. <laughs> Can I take my? Then I looked to the left and the right, and I seen like two or three dudes with their shirts off. I was like, "Oh shit, I'm taking my shirt off." I think off. in hot yoga you can. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right, hot right. Yoga, you can get down to the loincloth like, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, right, right. That's probably one of the only. Only. I mean, in Ashtanga too, in India too, because it's so humid there. They don't have air conditioning too. You know, people yeah. do practice like that traditionally. That's yeah. the way. So that was the argument. Well, I'll tell people practice traditionally. Right, right, right. <laughs> so. What about you know? I mean, you you are an accomplished author. Yes, yes. You've yes, written absolutely. some books. I downloaded one of your books, and uh, and you do po- poetry. Poems, I do, and, right, right, yeah, right. yeah. So you mix so, that with so yoga. go ahead and shout you wanna, some you of that out. Read one, Robert, yes, read one. yes, it's right, kind of right. Please one. do. No, we got time. We got time. Yeah, so I've written a lot of different books on a lot of different things. So, so how did that uh, give us a? Should I have the one that I downloaded just recently? What I got. Oh, I'm that's what you got you. right there. I'm oh, give you a hard copy. Too. Oh, okay. Yeah, before, Thank you. Before you read a poem, yeah. uh, h- how did that come together for you, the yoga right. and the poetry? Yeah, what inspired you? Know that's a really good question. Well, you know, I think any practice that you do physically, you know, it kind of like we we're talking about releasing energy or gets the juices flowing and things like that. And you know, your creativity is part of that, right? It's a, it's a, you know, flow. Mm-hmm. And so whatever you do to kind of get you into a flow is going to start to stimulate, I think, your creativity. So I was starting yoga. You know, I I was telling you back in California in 1994, whatever, I felt like sort of an expat in my own body. So I started doing yoga. And these poems would just come out, you know, as I was doing yoga. So I was like, oh, I'm going to write this down, write this down. And, you know, yoga... A lot of the poses are based on animals, you know, or nature. You got tree, you got monkey, you got, you know, lots of different uh, different mountain pose, right? And so they're kind of, the unity also goes back to, you know, unity with nature. Yes, your own right. Human nature, but also with nature. So I just started um, kind of, you know, that valve got turned on, you know, right. it started flowing and, and then I was in Northern California, and I and I was um, 
at a poetry reading, invited to a poetry reading, I started sharing some of these poems, and I was doing the yoga. I could do Downward Dog, and I'd do the poem. And then this woman came up to me afterward, and she's like, uh, wow, those were the, you know some of the best yoga poems I've ever heard. And I was like, oh, thank you. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. She's actually heard yoga poems before? Like, I thought this was like a really fresh new idea, you right, know? Right, right. And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, I've read tons of them. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, well, I'm an editor at Yoga Journal. Oh, okay. And nice. she just happened to be in this, you know, audience of this little town in rural Northern California, which is near Spirit Rock, with a big meditation center. And mm-hmm. she was actually a teacher there, and she's actually my teacher now. So shout out to Ann Cushman, nice, uh, who's a writer herself, amazing writer, has a new book out called The Mama Sutra, about being a mother and being a yogini. And, yeah, uh, we want to we want to get with you on that too about you know motherhood yeah and that's a whole like other that. topic right yeah you know. so she said so she said yeah yeah this is really good you should you know keep writing them and so i kept writing them and then my publisher stonebridge press um they encouraged me to make a book out of it and so shout out to stonebridge press of berkeley um, peter goodman is an amazing publisher so uh, that's how that was born and you know that was kind of the first you know that was I want to say 1996 or mm. something like that. And then I got my yoga teaching certification after that, and it kind of became my path. But I think just this idea of what you were talking about, opening, you know, you're opening up. Right, and right. So you're opening to different kinds of flow, and one of the flows is their creativity. So. Mm-hmm. so, okay, so the yoga heart. Yeah, so I was thinking maybe i read a short one. Yeah, read a, oh, yeah, read yeah, a yeah, short yeah. yoga poem. Well, this, this was actually, this was about... Um, Buddhism, these are about the six perfections of Buddhism, generosity and kindness and so on. So, uh, I'm just going to read this short. It seems appropriate. It's called Gravy. Gravy, okay. (laughs) Biscuits and gravy, baby. (laughs) There you go, gravy. That's that's how you get our attention. I'm telling you. Right? It's not what you think of when you think of a Buddhist book of poetry. I'm telling you, some soul food in the house. (laughs) When Ray Carver died from a brain tumor caused by lung cancer, having escaped death by alcohol a decade earlier. His wife found a scrap of paper on his desk near his typewriter. Forgive me if I'm thrilled with the idea, he wrote, but just now I thought that every poem I write ought to be called happiness. No heroics, no apologies, just everyday happiness. Near the end of his life, he wrote, it was gravy. All gravy. Let yourself say, every poem will be called happiness. Every day will be devoted to helping others be happy. Ah, oh, that's awesome. beautiful. Beautiful. So that's it. Yes. Right? Yes. Seemed appropriate to our conversation. Yeah, of course. You yeah. know, after you think you're going to die, every day is gravy. So I had that same experience. I actually uh, have a, was born with a heart issue. So I had a very, very slow heart. Mm. And last year I got a pacemaker. Mm. So I'm a yoga teacher with a pacemaker. Mm. But, uh, you know, that, and they don't do that, um, they don't do that with anesthetic. (laughs) Oh, man. So you are aware of what's going on, you know? Yeah, yeah, And you cherish every moment. And the heart is, you know, it's not something you want to mess around with. So I feel very grateful. 
Mm-hmm. So every day is kind of gravy, you know, yeah, really. Right. And after 311, too, I think when you come that close to, you know, we were really lucky in Tokyo, but it's just right. a matter of time when we're not going to be lucky. Right, yeah. right. You know, just living with that awareness that this may be your last day. So that's also right. a, a sort of a Buddhist idea of impermanence. And right. Yoga kind of was the doorway to, like, how am I treating myself and how am I treating other people? Right. And I think, to be honest, Japan, too, when I first came to Japan, I was all about me, 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 me. What can I get? (laughs) And that's a really American thing. It is. Right. You know, individual and get out the front. Gotta get mine. Yeah. Yeah. And and Japan sort of knocked that out of me pretty quickly. Yeah. And you're part of something bigger than you. Right. And it's not all about what you can get. You know, it's also about what you can give. Mm. You know, and I think yoga sort of taught me that as well. You know, like, actually, I have enough. Absolutely. And appreciate contentment with what you have and then sharing what you have and and attitude of gratitude baby less is more yeah and this whole japanese thing uh, you know of harmony and consensus it's a bit of a cliche but it you know you aren't just we are all interconnected and we are interdependent and not just with each other but with the planet so when something happens when we have an earthquake when we have a tsunami you know that's gonna affect us too absolutely and it's gonna you know we're all in this together so the union yeah, Union. Yeah. Union, that's, baby. That's, that's how we'll end it off. Union. There you go. We're all in a mobile man cave together. <laughs> so so um, shout out your sun and moon yoga. Where, where is it? Oh, you know? yeah. All yeah. your social media, how your you books, get there everything. So you sunandmoon.jp. Okay. And uh, that is our website. We're on Facebook. We didn't go Tanda, Tokyo. Okay. So it's five minutes from the station. Um, books, you can just, I'm lezalowitz.com, L-E-Z-A-L-O-W-I-T-Z.com. you got my books there. Uh, well, I don't know, you know. It's gravy. I'm, I'm, it's it's all gravy. gravy. It's all gravy, it's baby. gravy. Yeah. All gravy, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Thank you, you Lisa. guys are awesome. Yes. And I'm coming to your yoga class. So oh. Okay. Uh-oh. I'm looking forward Uh-oh. to it. <laughs> destiny all right peace out thank you for listening to the raw urban mobile podcast for more episodes please visit rump.podbean.com or you can head straight to google and type in raw urban mobile podcast you can also listen to us on spotify itunes and wherever you can stream or download podcasts